It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Everybody's back together. Jugley Marie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Nathan's all refreshed. The last dance was on on Sunday night. We get it. We're going to get right to the stuff and then we'll jibber jabber about being back together later because too often podcasts can meander for five minutes. Stephen Means, you're doing a thing. You did a thing at cleveland.com that we're going to do now on the podcast. As, as Nathan Baird and I uh, will give our opinions on this, can you explain to the people, the good listeners, what we're doing here? Yeah, so they're called What's More Likely for Ohio State Football. And it's two extremes, basically. But when you cover a team who's competing for national championships every year, the extreme isn't so crazy. And so I, did four, I had a long list of them. Some of them made sense. Some of them didn't make sense. And I narrowed it down to four of them. And those, it's, it's pitting two things against each other. So the first one is Chris Olave is winning the bullet, the cough award, but really it could be any wide receiver. Just Chris Olave is going to be wide receiver number one next year. So he's the name I put in the headline versus Sean Wade or any defensive back for that matter is going to win the Thorpe award, which is, you know, we, Ohio State just had a guy who was, you know, a finalist for a Thorpe award last year in Jeff Okuda. So it's not a crazy thought process that a five-star kick can develop into a Thorpe award finalist and Ohio State has a talented wide receiver core and a quarterback who can sling it all over the field. And I think they're going to do that. So the extreme version is they're the best ver- They're the best player at their position in the country. And then you go from that to you know, all big 10 slash all big, all American selections, Wh- which side has more between the offense and defense. We've seen, you know, how they dominate both of those lists in, in the, from a big 10 category the last few years. And we've seen some, all, some consensus, all Americans. That's what it has to be consensus. It can't just be one or two. You have to go by the guidelines that you get end up getting a tree in Buckeye Grove. So what Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were able to do last year, and then we get we focus on Justin Fields as a runner versus Justin Fields as a thrower. Is he going to lead the nation in passing touchdowns versus leading the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns? And then lastly, probably the most extreme of the group is just who scores more touchdowns between the special teams unit and the defensive unit. Okay, so those are the four categories that we are going to discuss here. Um, Steven and I gave our opinions on those last week in the post at cleveland.com, but it's always fun to talk about stuff, even if you wrote about it. Nathan was out last week, so he did not get to opine on this. So let's start with the one that you said, Steven, off the top. It's what's more likely an Ohio State receiver wins the Boletnikoff Award versus an Ohio State defensive back wins the Thorpe Award. 
I will tell you as points of information that the only Boletnikoff Award winner in Ohio State history, this award started in 1994, mm-hmm. is Terry Glenn in 1995. And the last uh, Thorpe Award winner from Ohio State was Malcolm Jenkins in 2008. So certainly there has been – Antoine Winfield also won in 1998. Certainly there has been uh, a more recent defensive back to win an award like this. So, Nathan, starting off with you then, where are you – Thorpe or Boletnikov? I think the answer is almost always at Ohio State probably going to be Thorpe because, A, just the, the reputation that they have of churning out defensive backs, I think, sometimes helps a candidacy regardless of what that player eventually goes on to do. I think that's a nice cushion to give a guy to the start of a candidacy that people just expect, oh, he's uh, th- this year's best Ohio State defensive back is probably going to be a first-round pick, right? He's probably going to have a strong future in the NFL. So I think that that kind of that sort of thinking helps guys in these awards, whether people want to admit it or not. Uh, B, the, the other part, though, for Bolitnikov, it, it is such, can be, and often is, such an accumulation award. You have to pile up receptions, yards, touchdowns, and even, yes, Chris Olave may be the most uh, prolific receiver on Ohio State's roster. Just because they mix it up so much and use so many guys, it's very difficult for an Ohio State receiver in this offense to put up those kind of numbers. Not because the offense won't put up those numbers, but because they move the ball around to so many guys and are going to give so many guys reps. So, Nathan, we didn't do this in the original post, but, like, how strongly – would you lean Thorpe instead of Boletnikoff? I mean, in this case, including and, and including the fact that it's Sean Wade who has some narrative coming back, all that stuff. I mean, it's at least four to one. All right. So, Stephen, you were on the opposite side of that, right? I was, and the reason why is, look, Ohio. I think they're going to throw the ball a lot more often than they did in in 2019 just because obviously you've got your know, top a top three pick at your quarterback spot and you have you know this bev uh, this ridiculous amount of wide receiver talent while there, there's questions in the running back room but also I compared it to what LSU did from 2018 to 2019 I'm not saying that no I do think Justin Fields want those 60 touchdown passes but that's a whole different story I look at Jamar Chase's numbers and how he went a guy who was in the rotation he, he's a talented kid and he went from 313 yards, which made sense given what that offense was, to the Belentnikoff winner, 1,700 yards and 20 touchdown catches, all because of a change in, a change in how they approach things offensively, but also the second year of a starting quarterback with Joe Burrow, who was a Heisman guy. Well, Justin Fields is going to be in the conversation to be a Heisman guy. You know, he's in his second year here at Ohio State. There's top, the, the top two guys are going to be Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, if we're going to talking about guys who could be in the consideration for this award, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for those two, especially to put up these type of numbers in order to be in the conversation to win this award. While when you look at the other side of the ball, I think Jeff Okuda had probably the best season of any cornerback since Malcolm Jenkins in 2008. And he didn't win the award. As a matter of fact, he lost the award to a guy who went 40 spots later than him in the NFL draft at LSU and Grand Delpit. So I just there's not enough there's not enough teams in the Big Ten who throw the ball around enough where a cornerback is going to be able to come in, as talented as Sean Wade is is going to maybe be able to beat out a guy who's had a similar season in a different conference where they do have more 
passing talent than what the Big Ten has to offer. While with wide receivers, you can just control that by putting up the numbers. So I will say um, this is a difficult discussion because it's not who will be better. It's who might win an award. And as someone who I think does vote for some national awards, I can't even keep track and whatever, which the the whole point is that, like, I'm a terrible national awards voter, but I am also a typical national awards voter. They're idiots. They're stupid. They don't know anything. They're completely driven by, like, preseason discussion. They're completely driven by big names. It It is not actually all that reflective of level of play and accomplishment. And so that's why I do think, um, yes, your numbers can just blow people away. And if you have huge highlights in nationally televised showdowns, um, that does matter a lot. But it's actually weird. I mean, I think sort of to Nathan's point on this, Sean Wade has, I think, a considerable amount of preseason hype more so than Jeff Okuda had a year ago. Yeah. And I do think that when you think about this stuff, although I have also been seeing some things online, you know, they're just random college football accounts, some legit, some not that tweet out like, here's four pictures of defensive backs, do a vote thing. And like, I've seen some of those and like Sean Wade hasn't been in them. And I saw Mm -hmm. some Ohio state people be like, dude, what are you doing? But I do feel like Wade has more preseason hype than any single Ohio State receiver, and that when it comes to this terrible voting, which is, I mean, I'm glad they have the awards. Kids should win awards, and there's no better way to do it, really. Um, but I think the preseason hype matters. Nathan, that's part of your point, right? The preseason hype does matter. It shouldn't, probably, but it will. It'll absolutely matter. It, it, it matters in all these awards. Um, I actually do, now that you mention it, I do vote in the Bolotnikov. I had forgotten that for a moment. Um, and that should tell you something about how, the, as you're saying, kind of the brain trust that sometimes goes into these votes that I think I've had a Bolitnikov vote for several years now. And I don't know if I even always used it. It's um, <clears throat> some of those years I was covering a team on a, a close basis and sometimes not. So um, I, the other thing I think, though, with Wade, it, it's interesting you bring that up as opposed to Okuda, because by the time I got to Ohio State, everyone was talking about Okuda being a likely top 10 pick but I don't know if they were I don't know what point that conversation started because obviously he wasn't even really um, a full-time starter until last season correct well he was a a, I mean in that larger rotation I mean he was the best guy though they had they rotated Sheffield Arnett and Okuda through the three spots Okuda was the best one though right right but but the the numbers that Jeff put up last year, it was kind of a quiet excellence in terms of the statistics that I think the majority of the voters are going to go by for an award like that. Um, and I think Sean Wade has a better chance of maybe putting up some of the noisier statistics because I don't know that – I think people might challenge him more than they challenge Jeff Okuda, even though he is going to be better than whoever's on the opposite side. He's I don't know that he's necessarily as good as Jeff Okuda but I also think just that as you're talking about the preseason hype there's also some narrative here right like so there's going to be all these you know if Sean Wade does have a great season there's going to be all these stories about oh you know he he walked off the Fiesta Bowl field in shame and came back and was an all-American like just those little things they add to your your narrative they add to the story it helps that you're just your name get out there more and more and more and that's almost the publicity is almost what matters the most in, in a lot of these positional awards does and, Chris Olave not have to, to just to make my devil's advocate? 
Does he not have the same thing going on? I guess him? now that you mention it, he does. You know? Yeah, it's, it's he the does. exact same bowl game. But, and to the point of with, with Sean Wade, I don't know. I think there is a sizable gap between what he is as a talent and what whoever the other the number two corner is going to be. Seven Banks is, is as a talent on the field, so I do think he'll run into a similar situation as Jeff Okuda, where why would I try that side of the field when there's a new guy starting over here? who we know is not as good as Sean Wade is, why don't we just test him out all game? Because that's what we saw people do against Damon Arnett last year because that was part of the problem. Jeff Fokuda didn't get targeted a lot. And I think Sean Wade is going to run into a similar situation, especially when you're already not that good at throwing the ball as it is. We're not going to make it worse by throwing out the guy who might be a top 10 pick in six months. I I do think that is – that happens a lot with defensive backs. The better you are, the less they throw at you, and then you don't have stats, and then you don't have PBUs, and you don't have interceptions, and then for the ignorant for national voter, for, you don't have the thing. For cornerbacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't. You're you're so good, you don't have stats. So that can be difficult. I I would say, I mean, at least I, I looked at the competition a little bit, and it's now, and there is an argument the opposite of this, but like one of the reasons that I wouldn't say. You used Jamar Chase in your example, Stephen, yeah. as like the example of like why an Ohio State receiver could win it. The guy who could also win it is Jamar Chase, who That's is true. back as a defending Blitnikoff Award winner. But who's now, the quarterback? Joe Burrow and Joe Brady are not back. And Who that knows? is a part of this, too, that if you are looking at the two best quarterbacks, you know what? I don't even know. Do we know? Now, this is going to be – I'm going to be nervous. We're going to show our uh, – ignorance of national college football but actually i don't care about that because people already know that we're ignorant about national college football who's the third best quarterback in college football this year and not trey lance from from north dakota state i mean like actual dude in terms of like he's gonna help his receivers get huge numbers like is it the oklahoma guy i can't remember what his name is but he's new yeah i don't i guess sam uh, ellinger maybe sam ellinger at texas or tanner morgan like Minnesota's no, well, yeah, Rashad Bateman's pretty freaking good, actually. That Rashad Bateman is the best receiver in the Big Ten. That's actually not a yeah, bad, so not a bad situation. So the thing is, and and here's the other thing, and I and I this is on my list to do full podcasts on this because we have some good. They're old at this point, but I have my list of texture questions. People asking about comparing potentially the 2020 Ohio State offense to the 2019 LSU offense. And where are the comparisons valid and where are they most interesting and that kind of thing. I am a little cautious, or perhaps a lot cautious about like, hey, let's look at basically the most prolific offense in the history of college football and think, oh, Ohio State could do that. Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdown passes. Okay, let's use that as our threshold. Joe Burrow threw for 5,671 yards. 60 touchdowns, six interceptions. So, yeah, his receivers went nuts. But, like, Justin Fields is really good. I'm a little nervous about wading into that territory sort of nonchalantly. Like, are you – Stephen, you, it's not an unreasonable comparison, but also I'm not assuming that, like, Justin Fields is going to throw 60 touchdown passes. Okay, so let me – I think it's a – I'm not full, like, you know, pedal to the metal – headed in that direction, but it's okay to start cruising there. And it's because, you know, I mean, he threw 41 touchdown passes and was a bench warmer in the second half of a lot of these games. I think he's going to be, because the defense isn't, isn't what it was last year. I think the 
they're, where they're going to get the ball on offense is going to be different at times. I think he's going to have to play deeper into some games. And the way we talked about Oregon last week, that's going to, that might be a game. And so from the get, he's not going to have a lot of games where it's going to be 45 to three at halftime. And so he's going to, they're going to have to use his arm to throw some of these passes, just like with Joe Burrow. Yes. He put up those numbers, but also they kind of needed it. Even Texas obviously didn't end up being the team we thought they were, but even if you watch that game, he needed to keep throwing the ball deep into the fourth quarter in order to win that game. And so it wasn't like he put up 60 touchdown passes and only played three quarters. So that's the, part of it. The comparison that I do think, it, I mean, is interesting. There, we have a comparison right here at Ohio State to yeah. make, you know, to th- 2018 Ohio State. So just as a point of information on this stuff, just to, again, contextualize how special LSU's season was. Joe Burrow in 2019 threw 527 passes. Dwayne Haskins in 2018 threw 533 passes. So basically the same amount of passes. Burrow threw 60 touchdowns. Haskins threw 50. Burrow threw for 56-71. Haskins threw for 48-31. Burrow averaged 10.8 yards per attempt. Haskins averaged 9.1 yards per attempt. Um, so we have seen what a like high flying pass heavy Ohio State passing offense under Ryan Day looks like. We have the proof right there from 2018. But I think in the end, there's one thing that most of all would lead me away from the receivers here, and it's just the rotation. They just they're not going to. Chris Olave is not going to be on the field every snap. And when you look at LSU last year, Justin Jefferson had 111 receptions for 1,540 yards, 18 touchdowns. Jamar Chase, 84 receptions, 1,780 yards, 20 touchdowns. Then they had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their back, had 55 receptions. Thaddeus Moss, their tight end, had 47. But, like, those guys are taking all the reps at receiver. When you look at Ohio State, in 2018, Paris Campbell had 90 catches. KJ Hill had 70. Johnny Dixon 42. Terry McLaurin 35. Those are all. Those are four receivers. Austin Mack had 26. Ben Victor had 21. That's your six-man rotation at receiver. They there are just enough receivers. Somebody's going to put up like a hundred catch, 1600 yard season. Season, and even if Justin Fields goes nuts, I just don't know if a single Ohio State receiver will get the opportunity to do that based on the fact that they rotate. Yeah, that's basically the crux of my argument. I was looking back. So you already mentioned what uh, Chase did last year. Jerry Judy in 2018, 68, 13, 15, 14 touchdowns. James Washington, 74, 15, 49, 13 touchdowns. D.D. Westbrook, 80, 15, 24, 17 touchdowns. Corey Coleman, 74, 13, 63, 20 touchdowns. I mean, so in Chris Olave last year, 49 catches, 849 yards. 12 touchdowns. So he's going to have to do half as many again receptions, half as many again yards, and those that the touchdown number is probably going to also have to go up, and that's already a pretty healthy touchdown number. So I think that Chris Olave will see a a a, a bigger number of targets in 2020 um, based on what we've talked about just as the greater offense previously, um, that, that this offense will probably be on the field a little bit longer in a few more games and the running back situation, all that stuff. I think his number of targets will go up. I don't know that his percentage of targets relative to the other receivers necessarily goes up. I still think that that mix, that rotation, this is still a really talented, deep group. And I think Ohio State still wants to use that. 
And I don't see him all of a sudden getting into a target situation like you were talking about with Jefferson and Chase last season. So, Stephen, we asked – Nathan gave – he said he was like four to one DBs over receivers for this award. You leaning receiver, how heavy are you leaning receiver on this? I'd go five – no, I'd go four and a half to one. You think it is – you think it is a, a huge, 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 much bigger chance for the receiver to win than the DB? I do. Just because, yeah, I do because it's basically you're, at, you're saying Sean Wade is, is going to win the Thorpe Award or, you know, you, I'm taking you. Know, I'm Chris Olave is obviously the name I use, but also Garrett Wilson in the slot. Yeah, but that, his name into this. that's so against your argument. That's the whole point. If you have multiple guys who might yeah. win the Boletnikov, you have nobody. Who yeah, that's fair. Boletnikov. I might, I might go two to one then at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, like it's, it's, that's part like, and, and I'm not like this would be, I mean, you know, we can get into some um, over unders and predictions on stats and stuff as we go through this later into the summer. But like right now, right now, if, if we had to pick who will lead Ohio State, and this is probably a separate podcast, who will lead Ohio State in receiving yardage in 2020? Steven, who would you say? Yardage, I would say Wilson. Nathan, who would you say? I think it will be Wilson in reception and yardage. Yeah. I, I, I might go Wilson too, um, but I just think it's hard for, for – like if you want to – I don't know. This might be counterproductive. Like, but, but, a lot of it is off the quarterback. So when you're – Steven, a lot of your argument is Justin Fields. It's not really yeah. – it's like which receiver might it be, but it's like I was going to say I might, I might think Garrett Wilson has a better chance as a junior, except he's not going to have Justin Fields. So it's like when you match up a great receiver with a great quarterback. But I do think the competition is pretty fierce. Um, Justin Ross is going to have a bigger role at Clemson with T. Higgins gone. That guy's yeah. a big contender. Um Jamar Chase is back at LSU, and Justin Jefferson is gone, so like Jamar Chase might get even more balls. Uh, Devonta Smith, they, Alabama lost two receivers to the first round of the NFL draft. Some people think he was the best receiver on, on, for Alabama last year, and Mac Jones, I think, is a certainly a competent quarterback. There's just some guys that I think are going to start with head starts and the hype train, and I just think one of them is going to put up like a monster year that I don't know a single that a single Ohio State receiver would match it. So I would go defensive back but i my overall vote pretty solidly would be neither which is not the point but it's like i just the way ohio state is configured um i think i think kind of your point nathan on the dbs is right though that it's like there's not enough good quarterbacks to test enough guys for i mean if jeff okuda and marshawn Lattimore and denzel ward aren't winning the thorpe you know, it's like, God, is anybody ever going to win the Thorpe Award for Ohio State again? Um, so I get that part of it, but I also just think there are so many pass-happy programs. You know, Corey Coleman, I mean, that guy. That, I mean, the Browns made the mistake of picking him first in, in his draft, the first receiver off the board. But it's like when you compare Corey Coleman as a receiver to Michael Thomas – like their skill set and like who they are as players. I mean, it's not even close, but Corey Coleman won an award because Baylor chucks it around, but that's how award wor awards work. And in conclusion, I think we can all agree sports writers are idiots. <laughs> it would be interesting to get in the minds of um, Thorpe award voters to see how much they think about 
the quarterback talent that those players have to face. Recently, it, it's been it's been kind of a USC or a, a SEC run these yeah. last couple of years. Um, no no Big Ten winner since Desmond King in 2015, but he was amazing back then. For people who remember, he was he was kind of a force of nature at times out there, as as much as a cornerback can be sometimes. Um, just um, but yeah, so I but I, it, part of me wants to think they do, and then part of me knows that they don't. Because here's the thing, and, and sometimes when I get honest like this, I think people get mad at me because they think I'm being like disrespectful. I'm just telling you how it is. No, it's true. Here's, it's true. here's what goes into their thinking. I mean, here's what goes into Thorpe Award voters' thinking. Oh, my God, my ballot was due two hours ago. Okay, mm-hmm. who's on the list? Who have I heard of? Yeah, and that's why – yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the voting. And, and that's, that's why I think I Sean vote. Wade has a little bit of a lead right now because I think he's somebody who's already getting talked about in a way that individual Ohio State receivers might not be on a national level. Delpit won last year, right? Is that the deal? Grant yes. Delpit? Yeah. Grant Delpit, who everybody saw off his year before, might have been a top 20 pick in the NFL draft, stayed at, L- was at LSU another year, didn't play nearly as well, had an injury that bothered him, didn't tackle as well, and then just won because he was famous because people had heard of him because he was good the year before. And if, and if people are mad at this – then tell the award committees to like have somebody – I mean, we don't get paid to vote. I have a million things I'm doing during the college football season. I don't have a strong, informed opinion on who the best blank is. I, I might have an opinion on the best quarterback, but beyond that, I'm doing the best I can, man. I'm happy to help out, but I don't have time to spend a couple hours researching my Boletnikoff ballot. So if you want to take it away from me, fine, but I'm just telling you, it's nice the kids get awards – if you are really going by who's the best player and had the best season, a lot of times they don't get it right. All right, Stephen, what's the next one? The next one is all big. Which side of the ball between offense and defense is going to have more all Big Ten and consensus All American selections for 2020? So, first team, right? Yeah. So all Big Ten versus I think when I answered it in the post, all Big Ten versus all American is a very different deal. Yeah. So how are we supposed to have the same answer? Is we supposed to answer them both separately? Yeah, both both are supposed to be separate answers. All right. So what were your two answers then? I I said I said offense for both for both answer for both answers though. Okay. If we want to just talk all all American for the sake of a podcast, we can though. I mean, because all Big Ten doesn't matter because it's like Ohio yeah. State. I mean, it's like again, all Big Ten is like I don't know. They I mean like. Harry Miller might make all Big Ten if Ohio, if Ohio yeah. State's offensive line is good. And, like, I don't – it's all Big Ten is hard because not to be weird about it, it's like you don't have to be that good as an Ohio State player to make first-team all Big Ten. And not to, dis, not to dismiss it at all, but it's like there's like seven guys sometimes or eight guys for Ohio That's State right. that make first-team all Big Ten. So it's like, well, yeah, all they're good players. So for the sake of a podcast, all, let's just discuss the All-American hit. All right, so why did, you, important. why did you say offense for the All-Americans then? First-team All-Americans, you think there will be more on offense than on defense? Yeah, I think so. And I'm not including Justin because I, I, there's two off the top of the head who I think could be consistent as All-Americans next season, and that's Wyatt Davis and that's Josh Myers on the offensive line as interior guys. Where you know, Wyatt Davis is probably going to come into the season as the favorite to be one of the guards to make that – to make the All-American list. And then Josh Myers, I think, can play himself into being a first-team All-American guy. And then after that, Justin Fields is, is an on-the-bubble guy as if he wins the Heisman Award, then obviously he gets on that list as well. All right, Nathan, what's your vote? Most first-team All-Americans, which side of the ball? 
I think it's got to be offense just because the the ceiling is higher there if Fields can beat out Lawrence to be a first-team All-American on enough teams. I, I agree offense. I feel like the two – I feel like Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade, you can't be a lock for first-team All-American, but I feel like Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade are very, very strong first-team All-American candidates. I'm not sure who the second defensive player would be. And, again, we mm-hmm. can go into the Marshawn Lattimore leap, Josh Proctor, if he goes bonkers, but, like, there's not – there's certainly not an obvious guy. It's one of, like, well, who makes a leap? I mean, Pete Werner is good. He's not going to be a first-team All-American. You know, like, the guys that are back, like, Tyreek Smith is good. I, I, I don't think he's going to be a first-team All-American. I mean, if you want – I mean, is Zach Harrison going to make a leap? Is Josh Proctor is – Seven banks is Baron Browning on the. I mean, I guess there's all possible, but I think between Myers, Fields, and Davis, those are like three really strong candidates. And to the point of even with if Zach is on the Chase Young trail, Chase Young wasn't an All American his sophomore year. So if he's on that same pathway, this for the sake of you know narratives and everything, he wouldn't be a guy we would even be considering for this until 2021. So that knocks that guy off. And obviously there's room for other guys to grow, but where we're standing right now, there's only one guy that we would think when December rolls around would even be considered to be a consensus All-American on the defensive side. While, you know, very easily you can rattle off three guys who will at least be in contention for it. I, I will say Joey Bosa was a first team all consensus All-American as a sophomore mm-hmm. uh, in 2014. So it's like you start – you win the national title, you're in the playoff, all kinds yeah. of stuff starts happening, right? So, I mean, like, wh- th- that's how this – with awards, that's how this works. Your team is good, you get famous. So, it's not it's not impossible for, for – we and we see Ohio State guys make the leaps all the time. I just think they're more likely on the offensive side. All right, quick break. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk uh, with more, which is more likely, from Cleveland.com. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. We saved some of the jibber-jabber. Nathan, you're working again. How's that feel? Oh, it's a dream come true. Did you – so you were on unpaid furlough. Stephen and Uh I will have a week of that coming up in June, um, different weeks. Do you feel refreshed and reinvigorated, or did you just miss writing and talking about college football so much that you almost couldn't enjoy your week away? I would not say the latter part, but I also wouldn't even fully say the first part because, you know, usually, and I've had to do this at other points in my career where you can, you'd take furlough days and you would do something with them. And so even though you weren't getting paid or whatever, you still turn it into like a little vacation day. You'd go out of town, you make an extended weekend, whatever. I had a whole week, but I still can't go anywhere and do anything. So it wasn't, it didn't look that different than a lot of my work days. Um, And then kind of to your second point, I very intentionally kind of just avoided anything related to work. So I didn't, I didn't like shut my Twitter off or delete it or log out, but I just, uh, I didn't have a lot of my notifications on and stuff like that. And so I came into this morning a little bit, uh, blind into what I was getting back into. So it's taken a little bit to kind of, um, get back up to speed on what's going on. You're only away a week, but you feel like you missed a lot and now you got to kind of get your bearings back. Yeah, the world doesn't stop. I mean, like it's not like at least like Ryan Day didn't go to the NFL or anything. It would have been like right. oh, I think my, I would have heard about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I had Twitter at what? Um, yeah. Well, it's good to have you back. So we're back. Uh, you know, back doing the thing. I the the uh, the Wednesday podcast last week was kind of a thing. I don't know if you uh, heard about that. Yeah. 
I <laughs> I only heard about it from you. I didn't hear about it from anywhere else. I just saw your text uh, kind of giving yourself lashes or whatever for having done a subpar yeah. podcast. But so, I haven't listened to it yet. I haven't listened to it yet. I only listened to one podcast last week, and that was the first one. So I guess Tuesday's podcast. So you, list, oh, you, did, so you did. You listened to a you listened to a Buckeye Talk for pleasure. Um, I listened to a Buckeye Talk. <laughs> You got to feel what it was like to be one of these poor people who listens to Buckeye Talk for pleasure or attempted pleasure. Buckeye Talk, attempted pleasure, T-shirt slogan. That gave me some peace of mind. I was like, well, I better check in and see if this whole thing's falling apart without me. And I listened to the podcast, and I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like pretty much how it would have been with me except one less voice. And then I could just uh, sleep easy the rest of the week. It's amazing how it's like, oh, instead of three of us, it's just two of us, so the podcast will be much shorter, and they never no. The words just fill themselves in somehow. Um, all right, Stephen, what's third on the most likely back and so, forth? So I think this one's probably the most interesting one of the four. Justin Fields leading the nation in passing touchdowns versus him leading the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns. And the basis for this is he was top five in the country in passing touchdowns last year. And then he was also you know top five in the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns last year. He had 41 passing touchdowns and 10 rushing touchdowns last season. Obviously, one of those numbers will go up, and one of those will probably be around the same, or maybe it'll go up as well. And you know, let's just get into it. I, I, I went. I lean towards passing touchdowns just because of what we've already talked about. I think he's gonna, you know, I'm already on that train of he's gonna be anywhere in the vicinity of 60 touchdown passes, which would clearly lead the country since the only human being who has done it is Joe Burrow. While with the rushing touchdowns, I mean, he's their number one running threat probably at this point. We probably can all agree on that, but. I don't know how much you want to turn him into JT Barrett, where it's Justin runs left, Justin runs right, and Justin runs up the middle. So that was the comparison I made is is to JT Barrett, uh, who in his career had 12 rushing touchdowns, was the most he had in a season. He had 11 in 2014, 11 in 2015, 9 in 2016, and 12 in 2017. And when you look at at running backs in the Big Ten, usually, I mean, you're getting up towards 20. It's not 20 every year that it takes to lead the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns, but it's usually in the vicinity. It's at least like 18 most of the time. And I, I just don't know that Justin, that they're going to use him that way. Um, to get him up towards 16, 18, 20. And I know Jonathan Taylor's gone, but there's some other Wisconsin running back in, in the pipeline. I don't know who it is. Um, so I just – I had a, a hard time wrapping my head around Justin Fields leading the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns. Nathan, did you, did, did you think that's possibly the better answer than leading the nation in passing touchdowns? I was starting to talk myself into it mostly because – the guys that have we seen put up those monster touchdown passing numbers that you've been mentioning, Haskins, um, Burrow to some extent, like these guys didn't weren't really taking touchdowns away from themselves potentially by running it in. Um, I just I feel like I don't I don't know how often Ohio State is going to anytime Ohio State has a choice between like making a two yard pass or letting Justin Fields run it in from two yards, it's it's going to be the latter. I just feel like he'll take away too many touchdowns. Now, I don't know if it'll be enough. Will it be enough to lead the Big Ten in rushing touchdowns? Um, 
I mean, yeah, I think for the sake of argument, I would say, yeah, I think the rushing might be more likely. I think maybe he could be the, the kind of special player that this offense will be so high powered that he'll have so many opportunities um, to be, you know, in the red zone, inside the 10, uh, goal line situations. I, I think maybe the, it'll be just so many, even in the first three quarters of games, that he'll find a way to, to get that done and take away enough passing touchdowns from himself on the ground. Did you give that hard thought, Stephen, to lead rushing touchdowns in the Big Ten? I did, and it's because of some things we talked about in past podcasts about last year it was in read option situations. He probably gave it to Dobbins even in situations where he probably should have kept it because they needed to save his body and because, well, Dobbins is their best running threat. Third and two, you know, need to get a first down. He's probably keeping it this year, which will add to those touchdowns as well. But also, everybody, know, everyone's going to come into this season knowing that the, that the Ohio State's off. Their biggest threat is going to be their passing game over their run game, and so there's probably going to be some opportunities for him where he does drop back to pass, and he has to take off and go make a play, which we've seen him do in the past and score off of it at times. And there's going to be to the point of taking away from passing touchdowns or scramble opportunities where he does score, those are also taking away from passing touchdowns as well. But I just I, – I, so I thought about it, but I don't think he gets more than – to the point of JT Barrett only going 12. I think 10 is his limit again because I don't know how often they're – because he's such a run threat as a scrambler, I don't know how often outside of those third and two and third and fourth quarter situations they're going to be having designed runs for their starting quarterback. Even though there are – more talented options behind him this year than they were last year. There's still a nice drop off between Justin Fields and either TJ Stroud or Jack Miller. Do you know um, how many touchdowns LSU scored in 15 games last year? Not no. in, in total, no. What's a guess? 15 games. How many touchdowns do you think they scored on offense? I would say. 110? All right, that's insane. All right, we'll stop guessing. Yeah. <laughs> 93. I, I was going to say 92, so yeah. Okay. 93. Um, that's, that's like six and a third touchdowns per game, um, which is a lot of points. Ohio State in 2018 in one fewer game scored 74 touchdowns. So they scored 19 fewer touchdowns in one fewer game. Um, again, we are just – it's like, boy, oh, boy. I, I really want to do I, – I, this is high on my list already to do a big Wednesday pod on com- trying to compare the potential of the 2020 Ohio State offense to what LSU did in 2019. LSU was, like, off the charts, man. So um, I just think – like both can't happen, you know? So it's like they're I don't Ohio State's not gonna score ninety-three touchdowns. So like if they if they score seventy-five or seventy-eight touchdowns and they run in thirty-five of them, well then Justin's only gonna throw like forty-five of them, you know, like or if Justin throws, you know, fifty-six of them, then they're only gonna run in like twenty-one of them. And how many of those are gonna be Justin? Like I guess I, I just think in the end, right, if you're – part of the question is, is he going to beat out Trevor Lawrence for the most passing touchdowns, right? Because, again, I guess somebody else could come out of the blue. Maybe, you know, 
maybe well, Mike Leach at, at Mississippi State or somebody will have some running gun thing. But that's part of the equation, right? Do you think Justin Fields can throw more touchdown passes than Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, and I don't even necessarily know that it's the – I don't know that it's Trevor Lawrence that's the most likely uh, – because he'll have some of the same – even and more so with this schedule, some of the same limitations yeah. that Justin Fields will have. But, I mean, it's it's good and bad. I mean, you, you're playing against lesser teams, which only play against them for three quarters a lot of times. It, it could very easily be some guy from the uh, Mountain West to the WAC or somebody who just, you know, plays in a crazy – offense that, that throws it a ton that ends up technically leading the nation in passing touchdowns. So I, it's just, you have to be so prolific. Um, and I, I think playing three quarters again, unless you have a season like Burrow and it, and I think he was probably helped by getting to play some deeper into some games against SEC competition. Um, it's, it's, I think it's tough to do, you know, Dwayne Haskins played on a team where he got to play longer into some games. And I think Justin Fields will get to play next year. So part of the point is, and, and this is the point too, is, as much as we're comparing him to Joe Burrow, you've got to throw Joe Burrow out. 60 touchdown right. passes is bazonkers. Anthony Gordon playing for Mike Leach was second last year in the nation in passing touchdowns with 48. Mm-hmm. Fields was third with 41. He was 19 behind Joe Burrow, and he was third. In 2018, Dwayne Haskins led the nation in passing touchdowns with 50. Tua was second with 43. So Dwayne was seven clear of the field on that. In 2017, Drew Locke led with 44. 2016, Logan Woodside from Toledo with 45. Uh, 2015, Brandon Dowdy from Western Kentucky with 48. 2014, Dowdy, 49. Derek Carr, 50 for Fresno State in 2013. Like, Geno Smith led with 42 in 2012. 60 is not the norm. Um, So, like, I think, like, Justin Fields could throw for 50 and might lead with 50. Might be 10 under Joe Burrow. I just think the rushing touchdowns thing, some running back, some running back X in the Big Ten is going to have like 17 rushing touchdowns, and I think that's less likely. So I would lean toward the nation and passing touchdowns pretty hard because I think your points about Trevor Lawrence are good. Um, but again, just the threshold. The threshold is not 60. That's not really what we're talking no. about here. What's the last one? The last one is who scores more touchdowns does Ohio State score more touchdowns on special teams or on defense next season? And they only had one last year, and they haven't had multiple – one defensive touchdown last year, and that was the 96-yard pick six by Damon Arnett. And they haven't had multiple in a season since Malik Cooker had three defensive touchdowns in the 2016 season, I believe. And, and, and the, the alternative to that is Ohio State hasn't necessarily had a return threat as a special te- on special teams – that Garrett Wilson is going to be since maybe Ted Ginn, a guy where if he gets the ball, the the goal is to try to score a touchdown and not just secure the ball and let's get our offense on the field. That's the idea behind it. The other part of it too is like they block stuff sometimes, right? Yeah. I mean, like there's that's that's part of the yeah, Chris Olave special teams yeah. yes. equation as well. So which one did you land on, Steven? I went special teams and because of Garrett and also because they, they block stuff in situations where it can end up in a touchdown – but also, who's the, the guaranteed I'm going to cause a turnover right now for Ohio State's defense? Last year, when Chase Young went for sacks, he was trying to strip the ball every single time. He got six strip sacks last year, and a lot of those ended up in Ohio State getting the ball back. Well, there's not a, a strip sack specialist on the, on the defensive line this year like there was last year. And as we've talked about with Thorpe Award with the defensive backs already, Jeff Okuda – 
was a finalist and he only had three interceptions. And if your best defensive back isn't getting targeted, I don't know how comfortable any of us are in saying, oh, yeah, Seven Banks is going to have three to five interceptions or Cam Brown's going to have two to four. And even with Josh Proctor, as you know, electric as he can be at times, well, that electricity can sometimes end up in he missed and now it's a 60-yard touchdown. So even he's probably the best bet outside of Sean Wade, but even with that, it's it's extremely hit or miss. It's all hit and miss, uh, which is like it's hard to yeah. – I mean, a lot of this is luck, right? I mean, I think people yeah. will tell you a lot of turnovers. You can't rely on turnovers. A lot of it is luck. I mean, when, when teams have years where they create turnovers, they like to talk about how they change this. And the, the year that Ohio State was like uh, batting passes down and stuff, it was about matching the hand from the linebackers. And they, they talk about, oh, we work on the returns after a guy picks it. We all make sure get our, we get our blocks and stuff. A lot of it is just kind of – happenstance um i went pretty strong for more defensive scores which is mostly a shot at big 10 quarterbacks which is i don't know i don't know who it's going to be for ohio state and i whatever but like if i'm forced to pick something i'll imagine that there's enough average to below average big 10 quarterbacks that ohio state's going to face that they have a chance to yeah i don't know pick off a couple and run them back so i went and just the I think you have to account for the blocking the punt kind of thing. That was kind of more urban deal sometimes, but like I'll sort of see, I wrote, I wrote a whole thing about Garrett Wilson in the return game last year, but also like I'll sort of believe it when I see it, you know, like, I don't know. Is, are we going to see Garrett Wilson going crazy running punts back? I, I don't know. It'd be fun. I think we sort of want to like wish it into existence. I'm just not sure if it's going to happen. So as a shot at big 10 quarterbacks, I went defense. Nathan, how about you? Well, and the other thing to remember with Wilson is I wouldn't say he has a short leash, but it's not at full length. As much as Ryan Day has expressed confidence in him, there is some concern there um, just from some of the mistakes he made last year. So um, that's a factor, too. Not not a major one. Um, I'm still going to lean defense, mostly just because um, – speaking to your point about the, the, the kind of the volume of passing and you know, how that affects – Akuda's interception numbers, but I think I think the, the more the more you get thrown at, the more likely you are to pick off a pass in some ways. Um, like the more off, the more times you drive a car, the more likely you are to get in an accident. Kind of, if you know what I'm saying there. So I, I almost think that it, it, someone like Seven Banks or whoever plays the slot receiver or Josh Proctor, th- those kind of guys could get more interceptions next year. Somebody could have five, six interceptions next year. It doesn't actually mean they're better than Jeff Okuda. They just had more opportunity to pick off those passes. Um, but I also think that I still don't know. I think this defense is going to maybe be a little worse, but not so much worse that um, Ohio State's going to have a lot of kick return opportunities, a lot of punt return opportunities, but you don't really see them um, even with Wilson back there. I don't think they were really trying to return a lot of punts last year. I, I still think defense is a more likely way that they can get in the end zone. So, Stephen, you, you invoked the name of Ted Ginn Jr., and I think – Ginn, specifically in the return game, is as rare a talent as I've seen in 15 years. He, I think there's the most separation between what Ted Ginn Jr. did in that part of the game and anybody else in the last 15 years. There's more separation there than there is between, you know, pass rushers or defensive backs or great linebackers who are great tacklers or running backs who have great speed or great vision or receivers with great hands. Like Ted Ginn was the most unique guy at a skill that I've seen at Ohio state. So 
it doesn't mean it's not a good name to invoke because we all know what that means. When you say Ted Ginn Jr. as a punt returner, every Ohio State fan gets an image in their head. So I'm not asking – Garrett Wilson doesn't have to be Ted Ginn Jr. But how how excited – how how what is your level of expectation? Do you really think, Stephen, that both in opportunity to do it and with the skills to execute it that Garrett Wilson can be like awesome as a return guy? I think he can be awesome, and he also has the coach that – you know, who's going to encourage him to do those things. Now, obviously, the first job is to secure the ball. But as we saw, it's no longer – the guys they were throwing back there in the past, it was just about just catch it, and our offense will do the rest. And the offense is still going to handle the bulk of the scoring load. But when you're talking about an aggressive head coach who also had an onside kick in the second quarter of a game you were already blowing out a team in, I think he's already – that's another way that he can look to score. And Garrett Wilson has shown you that he's explosive enough to, you know, make plays happen as a punt returner. And if he has the green light that I think Ryan Day is going to be willing to give him, then, yeah, there's going to be some times this year where we're going to be up there doing what we're doing and we're going to look up and there's probably going to – he's probably going to be taking one back for a touchdown. While they not only have they not wanted or cared enough to do it in the past – there probably also hasn't been a guy who had the ability to do it as well. He's good, man. He's good. I mean, like uh, among the things I think any of us are like most interested to see uh, in 2020, sort of like the progression of Garrett Wilson, I think is high on the list for everybody. Just the kind of leap he might be able to make um, offensively special teams, just as an impact player that what you've seen, um, from the best receivers in college football, from C.D. Lamb to Jamar Chase to Justin Ross to T. Higgins to Jerry Judy, just guys like that. Just the idea of this is Ohio State's five-star receiver recruit. He had a good freshman year, but like what is out there next, I think is just very fun to think about. Um, all right, that'll do it for this Buckeye Talk. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, we're going to get to lots and lots of receiver, or not receiver, of uh, texter questions the rest of this week. Uh, again, I have, we'll have, uh, the Buffalo head coach, Lance Leopold, uh, on with us, uh, to help preview Buffalo this week. That is the week three preview that we are now on to. We've done Bowling Green and we've done Oregon. Um, and Nathan has some cool ideas about some other stuff we might be trying podcast wise, uh, in the days and weeks ahead. So try the text 614-350-3315. 614-350-3315. 14 day free trial, $3.99 a month. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop the reviews at Apple Podcasts for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.